So a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at a, a conference type thing. It was uh, for older pastors to help uh, coach younger pastors. And for the first time in my life, I was considered the older pastor in the room. I, uh, in fact, I went up to see my daughter right after this. I'm leaving, and I went up to see uh, my daughter, Emily Catherine, who's up uh, with uh, children at 11 o'clock, and walked in, and one of the young uh, girls came up and said, you remind me of my grandfather. <laughs> Dude, really? Wow. Uh, so anyway, it's getting that way. I'm getting, I'm getting older. Uh, but anyway, I was at this conference uh, where I had a, a group of 10 uh, younger pastors, and I was coaching them, and uh, at one of the sessions, not the one I was leading, but uh, one of the uh, main gathering sessions, there was a pastor there, good friend, his name's Ken Witten, and he's pastor of church in Florida, uh, and he preached a message that captured my heart, uh, and uh, Gary and I were uh, texting uh, back and forth about what I was going to be preaching today. And God just said, you need to preach, uh, not the same message, but the same text and this, have the, some of the same ideas that Ken Witten preached. And it's about temptation. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at this issue of temptation and how to overcome it. Everybody understands temptation. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to understand what temptation is. I mean, after all, there's a television show called Temptation Island. Uh, there is a television show called Temptation Island, isn't there? Okay. All right. I was just wondering. How many of y'all watched it? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Uh, I think it's a spinoff of The Bachelor uh, or Bachelorette. Boo. Anyway, uh, everybody understands the idea of temptation. I don't know that we all understand uh, the significance of what temptation is and how it affects our lives. All of us uh, struggle with temptation. If you made a New Year's resolution, uh, I'm going to eat less chocolate, by the way, a resolution I've never made in my entire life. Uh, I'm going to eat less chocolate. Uh, if you made that resolution, you know that there will be a temptation to what? Eat chocolate, right? And, and so we understand the nature of temptation. If you're uh, in school and uh, you have a, a 10-page paper due at the end of the semester uh, and it's getting to like two weeks until the end of the semester, you have a temptation to procrastinate even longer before you even start the paper. That's, that is temptation. We understand what temptation is. We understand the nature of temptation as it relates to the things that we should do that we don't do or the things that we shouldn't do that we want to do. We understand temptation. I just don't know that we get a big picture idea of what temptation is all about. Now, our text this morning is looking at Jesus who uh, overcame temptation and what he did in uh, the wilderness in Matthew chapter one verses, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, what he did in the wilderness personally, uh, was really more than that. It was something that he would accomplish so that we uh, might experience victory uh, in our lives uh, eternally. And so as we look at Matthew 4, I, I, in order to kind of narrow down the focus a little bit under, so that we can understand why temptation is a thing that we need to look at, um, in, Matthew, in Psalm chapter 1, 
Um, and we're going to come back to this in a few minutes. But Psalm chapter 1, uh, there is and, and I, one of my most quoted passages, the one I quote all the time to myself and, and even on the platform, uh, is Psalm 1. Why? Because it really does make my life simple. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and, uh, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. But with the ungodly it's not that way. They're going to be like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now, why is that verse, those verses, 1, 1 through 3 or 4, well, why is that so important to me and, and really so important to us as followers of Jesus? It's because it tells us that you have a choice uh, that you have to deal with and struggle with. It's the choice of doing life God's way or doing life some other way than God's way. And friends, that's temptation. See, temptation is whenever we have a God-given desire or drive but we seek to fulfill that drive or desire in a way that God doesn't want us to. It, it's where we decide we're going to, uh, if, if I have, we, I don't want to use sex, but uh, if, if I, uh, appetite. So let's talk, let's use one that's uh, less uh, weird for an old guy like me to talk about. Uh, uh, talk about food. Um, uh, we know that the Bible tells us that we should be healthy in our eating habits. Did you know that? If you didn't know, one of the sins of Scripture is gluttony. All right, all right, so good, good, good. All right, so gluttony is taking a God-given drive or desire to eat food and satisfying that desire in an unhealthy way or in a way that God doesn't want us to do that. So instead of uh, eating food in a healthy way, we abuse food in a way that God says we shouldn't. And the same thing's true, same principle applies to alcohol, right? And uh, where I, you know, 20 years ago, don't drink was the big uh, mantra for Southern Baptists. Uh, we, I think we've moved closer to a more biblical pattern. Um, I, I think there's a lack of wisdom in alcohol. I think that's true, and all of you should be cautious and careful when it comes to alcohol. Uh, I would contend that it's safer not to drink. It's safer, but the Bible doesn't say don't drink. <laughs> what does the Bible say? The Bible says don't be drunk with wine. Okay, There's a whole uh, section of Proverbs, though, that talks about how booze is scary. And you need to read that before you start drinking. Anyway, so, uh, so alcohol, alcohol is the same. You have a desire to experience something, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Whatever your, the, the flavor of alcohol, because I know everybody drinks beer for the flavor of it. Uh, you, drink, you drink for the flavor of it, but the Bible says that once you start hitting the buzz, you're satisfying a flavor and, and you're trying to satisfy a desire in, in a way that God doesn't deem appropriate okay once you hit the buzz you're there okay so again this is an important uh, uh, principle now why does it matter I mean why does that matter why should I eat in a healthy way I'm using that one because if y'all followed any of my Instagram posts you know that there are times when I don't hardly uh, fall into that uh, category 
I think it's healthy. I don't know, but, uh, but why should we eat in a healthy way? Well, because God says, blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. When we do life God's way, then we are satisfying the natural God-given desires that we have, but we're doing it in a way that God says, this is how you experience the best in life and how you please me. But when we take a drive or a desire that God has given us and we try to satisfy it in a way that God says we shouldn't, it's going to lead to a cursed kind of life. You're like the chaff which the wind drives away. It's important. Temptation is when we're on the horns of that dilemma and we're trying to decide, all right, am I going to choose God's way or am I going to choose my way? Now, everybody struggles with temptation. I struggle with it. I struggle with temptation every single day. Uh, And I know that if you're uh, here today and you are breathing, then you struggle with temptation every single day. By the way, you are here and you are breathing Okay, so you struggle with temptation every single day. Um, So the question then comes, how do we deal with temptation? How do we overcome it? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, it it ramps it up to a greater degree because when you became a follower of Jesus, God, by his spirit, planted in your heart a desire to please him. More than anything else, he planted in your heart, he gave you a brand new heart, so that your desire is to please God. Can I just humbly suggest that if you have no desire to please God, you probably aren't a follower of Jesus. And I don't say that judgmentally. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. When you become a follower of Jesus, God puts in your heart a desire to please him. So today, when we talk about temptation, we're struggling with, all right, if I do this, it's going to be displeasing to God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't want to displease God. But I really do want to do uh, what God wants me to do. So temptation is that desire, that drive that God naturally gives us, but it's satisfying that desire in a way that God does not permit. God's not a boogeyman. He's not an ogre. He's uh, He's not trying to rob you of pleasure. He's trying to give you a blessed life. Psalm 1, blessed is the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. It's that beautiful picture God wants for us to experience the best life, and and regardless your theological convictions, make no mistake, God desires for you to experience the best kind of life. But the best kind of life is a life lived in concert with what he desires. Temptation is, the, is the, the yearning in us to move away from God's desire and embrace our desire. All right? Even Jesus struggled with temptation. Do you realize this? I know it's hard for us to imagine that Jesus uh, struggles with temptation, but that's what we get at in, he, in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just experienced at a high point in his life, in his earthly life. Um, Now, you know about Jesus, right? I I, I hope I don't have to explain, but let me explain it anyway. All right, so Jesus is God who became flesh and bone. He he became a baby in Bethlehem. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he grew in wisdom and stature 
uh, and in favor with God and man. He grew up. And as he was growing up, he had these God-given desires that every human being experiences. But Jesus always satisfied those God-given desires in a way that's pleasing to his Father. Okay, So Jesus is fully God, but he also is fully man. Now, why does that matter? Well, because in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus uh, starting his earthly ministry, and John the Baptist is preaching, and, and there was this great baptism scene, uh, great baptism scene, uh, where uh, Jesus comes down from the Judean hillside, and John the Baptist, who was his cousin, points his finger at Jesus, according to John chapter 1, and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist pointed Jesus out and said, This dude... And even in Matthew 3, he says, this is the one who is coming, whose sandal strap I'm unworthy to unloose. Uh, John the Baptist understood that Jesus was Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David. All right? So John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and in this wondrous baptism scene, Jesus comes up, and he says to his cousin John the Baptist, he said, John, I need for you to baptize me. Now, why did Jesus need baptism? Well, it wasn't because he needed his sins washed away. He had none. Now, Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist objected. He said, I don't need to baptize you, Jesus. You need to baptize me. But Jesus responded, and he said, uh, he said, thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So baptism itself was, was a picture of obedience to God. As a follower of Jesus, we are baptized not to wash away sin, but to be obedient to God. And so Jesus himself came to be baptized. And he, uh, John the Baptist said, okay, I'll baptize you. He baptized Jesus, and as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, the skies of heaven opened. And the Spirit descended on Jesus as of a dove, and, and, and then a voice resounded that said, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God put his favor on Jesus and said, Hey, listen, I'm pleased with Jesus. He is my beloved Son. And everybody around understood that this was a special pronouncement. It wasn't just a normal kind of thing. The heavens opened and a voice from heaven spoke. It, it is God saying, you are, Jesus, you are my beloved son. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, immediately following this wondrous declaration of the Father upon the Son, Matthew chapter 4, let's read what happens next. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, it, it, in uh, Mark's gospel, which records this as well, it says that the spirit ekbalo, that means he threw Jesus into the wilderness. And he, he cast him into the wilderness. He, it, it was like the spirit of God picked Jesus up and threw him in the wilderness. Why? So that Jesus would be tempted by the devil. The very purpose of Jesus going to the wilderness was to endure temptation. It goes on and it says, uh, verse 2, And when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Some of y'all are hungry and you've only been fasting for like 30 minutes. <laughs> verse 3, Now when the tempter came, who's the tempter? Satan. Satan, all right. So when the tempter came to him, the tempter said, If you are the Son of God, let's stop right there. 
Now, what did God say just a few 40 days before? At the end of chapter 3, he said to Jesus, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The devil comes back, and he throws some shade on that declaration. He says, well, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, we understand this. Jesus was hungry. He was fully man as well as fully God. And so Jesus was hungry. His appetite was for some food. And so the devil came and said, okay, you're the, you're the, if you are the Son of God, if you really are who God just said you were, then go ahead on and fulfill your hunger by taking power in your own hands and making stones become bread and eat. And Jesus responded uh, in verse 4, he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds the mouth of God. Verse 5, second temptation. Then the devil took Jesus into the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, hear these words again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. So the temptation here is for, now everybody in Jerusalem was waiting for a Messiah. I just finished teaching uh, Jeremiah. The very last uh, from chapter 34 all the way to chapter 52, I, I, I taught uh, by myself in a room where nobody else was, and I videotaped it so that it would play Wednesday night. But, uh, uh, but in, 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 the, uh, uh, in the time of Jeremiah, and when the children of Israel were uh, sent into exile, God made promises to the children of Israel, children of Judah. He said, hey, listen, there's going to be a king that's going to rise up and he's going to sit on the throne. It's the king that we hear about in, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, his name will be called Wonderful, Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, and, and when they came back from exile, 70 years after they were sent into exile, they came back to the promised land, but there was no king. And so the Jewish people began to look for this king that God promised. And for, uh, for uh, uh, almost 400 years, 500 years, they were looking for this king. It's called this messianic expectation. So in Jerusalem, especially there at the temple, everybody was looking for the Messiah. Rome had now come into power. Alexander the Great had been uh, pushed aside, and, and, and uh, Cyrus had been pushed aside, Nebuchadnezzar had been pushed aside, Nehusuris had been pushed aside, um, and all these foreign powers. But now Rome was in charge, and the children of Israel, the people living there in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions, they were still looking for this king that God promised. They were looking for the Messiah, and he had not come. So what the devil says to Jesus, he says, well, if you are the Son of God, then why don't you just let everybody know exactly who you are? Go up to the tip-toppy of the temple and cast yourself off, and the Bible says that even the angels will come and rescue the anointed one. If you are the Son of God... Why don't you just meet the expectations of all these people in Jerusalem? 
They will applaud you and they will approve of you and it will be awesome. Jesus said in verse 7, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Simply, Jesus was saying, well, God has a different plan and I'm not going to let a desire for people to accept me impede the plan that God has. I'd rather be accepted by God than accepted by other people, okay? Now, verse 8, again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Uh, Again, the temptation here is Jesus understood clearly that he was going to go be killed on a cross in order to put down Satan, in order to give victory to sinners like you and me. But here the devil is saying, hey, listen, you don't have to go through any of that stuff. If you'll just right now bow before me, I will make all your dreams come true. I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. And the ambition of Jesus, that's what the devil was appealing toward. But Jesus wouldn't have any of it and uh, where the first two responses he gave were kind of they weren't they they weren't kind but they weren't ugly uh, in verse 10 he gets a little ugly he says away with you Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve then the devil left him and behold angels came and ministered to him all right so uh, how does this all influence us overcoming temptation well first of all we know that Jesus overcame temptation that's important but, but what are the lessons that we learn about temptation? See, if we're going to overcome temptation, we need to understand temptation. The devil is not creative, but he is effective. The devil is not creative, but he is effective. The devil has used the same old tired temptations since Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, by the way, they're both included there. Um, He's used these same tired, old uh, temptations, and he'll use them on you today and tomorrow and the next day. They're the temptations that Jesus endured with these three temptations. They're the temptations that Jesus endured. They're the temptations that we discover uh, written in 1 John chapter 2 verse 16. If you want to sum up the temptations, uh, John the apostle said, don't love the world. And what, what does that mean? Don't fall prey to temptation. And what does that temptation look like? He said, he said, it is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Three categories, three tests, The devil is not creative, but he is effective. And why is he effective? Because he speaks to the desires that we have and wants to lead us to satisfy those desires in a way that is not pleasing to God. So what are these desires? Understanding temptation. The first desire deals with our appetite. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a desire to have more. It is a desire to have enough. In fact, that, that, that temptation, the deceit that the devil throws at us is, I will never have enough. I'll never have enough. 
I don't know how many of you struggle poignantly with this temptation. This one doesn't hit me as hard as one of the other ones does. But, but some of you may struggle with this. The reason we have this thing called greed and covetousness and, uh, and, and idolatry is because we're coveting, we're wanting more. We're afraid we're never going to get enough to satisfy that, that spot in our soul. Um, we all have to be careful with this temptation and and it's seen when uh, Jesus had gone 40 days without bread and and the question is uh, if you are the son of God are you really going to be fed if you're going to live life God's way then why are you hungry right now if you're a follower of Jesus let me just kind of lay it out for you Um, uh, John chapter 1 says that if we believe on Jesus If we receive him, then we become sons and daughters of God. If if through Jesus Christ we have placed our life in his hands, his death on the cross, his payment for our sin, his resurrection from the dead as, as the opportunity for new life, in that moment we have received the authority from God to be part of his family. We are sons and daughters of God. We sing that song, right? I'm I'm a son, I am a daughter of God. And I'm a son and I'm a daughter, I'm no longer a slave because of Jesus Christ. But the devil will come to you and he'll say, if you really are the son or daughter of God, then why do you not have that car that you want to drive? Or why do you not have enough food in your pantry for the week? Or why do you not have enough money to pay the bills that you've got coming in? Or why do you not have uh, enough money to pay for the school that you want to go to? Why, If you are a son and daughter of God, then why are you lacking all these things? And there is a desire and a drive in us to be satisfied, to be content. What the devil does is you'll never get that if you do things God's way. You'll only get that if you take the reins in your own hand and do it for yourself. The fear that we have is the lie that we begin to believe. I will never have enough. And so we start trying to make bread out of stone. Again, I don't know how you do that in your life. I know how I've done it in different ways at different times. I, I, when, I was, uh, when I was about 19, I was struggling because the roommate that I had in college, a friend I went to high school with, played ball with, everything, he, good friend, uh, he decided that he was going to spend all his money gambling. And he, uh, back then you didn't have internet or cell phone or anything, but he would sit on the telephone line, and it was a dial-up betting system, and you dial this number, and you bet your money, and if you win, you get some money in return. If you lose, you have to pay the money. Well, he obviously didn't bet on sports as, with as much skill as he thought he could, and he ended up with just, he didn't have any money left. And rent came due, and, and I was going to have to pay it, but I also had school that I had to pay for. And I also had a, a girl that I was taking out, and her name was Edie, and I wanted to make sure she was happy, happy, happy. And, and, so I, and I had a car payment I had to pay for. I had insurance I had to pay for, all these things. And, and so I didn't know what I was going to do, so I got a credit card. 
And I don't know if it had 19% interest or 26% interest. I don't know what it had, but it was outrageous crazy. And I spent the next five years trying to pay that stupid thing off while it was robbing me consistently. You know why I did that? Because I was afraid that God wasn't going to take care of me. I'll never have enough. That's one of the basic temptations that you're going to face. I'll never have enough. But because we are sons and daughters of God, we can trust God to take care of our needs. It might not always look the way that we want it to look, but he will always take care of us. Our appetite says, I'll never have enough. The second temptation uh, moves toward approval. Now, this would be the, the, where I land most of all. This, this idea that I'll never be enough. Have you ever thought that? I'll just never be enough. In order for me to feel like I am enough, at least a, a, a far younger version of myself, I felt like I needed to be approved by certain people in my life, accepted by certain people. If, if, if you thought that I was enough, then maybe I would get a little bit closer to thinking I was enough. Well, that's a trap that will never satisfy. You know, we sit there and we try to make sure that everybody accepts us, no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, and we give up the acceptance and the pleasure of God. Do you realize that most of the time, when we make it our aim to please other people, we are also making it our aim to displease God. Most of the time, you don't get those things hand in glove. Most of the time, it's one or the other. I make it my aim to make sure that you accept me. Well, in doing that, most of the time, I'm rejecting God's acceptance. Uh, before Edie and I started dating, uh, there was a, a young lady that, that I had my eyeball on, and I thought I was going to ask her out. And so uh, I, I, I kind of courted around her for a while and, you know, was my charismatic self. That was back when I had hair. And, and uh, uh, so, I, I, you know, I was all that. Now, man, just every, everything that I knew to do to get her attention and to make her laugh and to think I was cool, uh, I would do those things. And and finally, after this season, strategic season of, of, of getting her acceptance, I got to the place where I finally thought, well, I'm going to ask her out on a date. And so I approached her, and, and I had this big, long uh, soliloquy worthy of Shakespeare uh, that was going to, uh, going to convince her to go out on a date with me. And, and I kept on and on and on and on. And... Finally, she said, Eric, I, I, I said yes like 20 minutes ago. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And, and then I started apologizing. Well, you know, I know da 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 da, da. And, and that I'm not going to be enough started coming out. You know, I, I, I know that you, you, you know, I've got a receding hairline and I'm not as tall as I need to be and I don't have the kind of muscles that you're used to and all that kind of stuff. And and she looked at me and she said, are you going to take yes for an answer or not? <laughs> you know, that's a great line. Can I tell you what God has done for you and for me in Christ? He says, you are completely accepted by the king of the universe, the creator of the cosmos. 
Why in the world would we look to satisfy our desire for approval from other people when we are totally accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for us? Yeah, it's true. We were separated from God by our sin, and we don't measure up. Romans 3.22 and 23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. But then verse 24, which we rarely quote, verse 24 says, Yeah, but let me tell you what God has done. God has sent his son to redeem you, to rescue you, to bring you into his family so that you and I in Christ are fully and completely accepted, approved of by God. And yet so often we refuse to take his yes for an answer and the devil counts on that because he keeps pounding on us you're not enough you're not enough you're not enough so we have the appetite we have approval and then then the third category is ambition this is the pride of life this is that desire to be somebody one of these days I'm gonna be somebody it's that ambition that the devil was hitting and he said hey listen uh, if you will just do things my way, I'll make sure everybody bows before you. And the lie that we begin to believe is that I'll never do enough. No matter how much we do, we, we, we keep doing and doing and doing so that people will think we are somebody. If you've never read Robert McGee, his, he's got a book, it's probably four decades old now, but Robert McGee wrote a book called Search for Significance, and he calls this performance trap, and it's, it's true. If you're a workaholic, number three is you. I'm raise my hand a little bit. It's the desire to do and do and do. If you're constantly trying to let people know how much you're doing, you're number three. And constantly striving to do and do and do. And there's nothing wrong with doing. The question is, is that where you're really going to be satisfied? And the answer is no. No matter how much you do, you're not going to do enough. But because of what Jesus did for you, you will always be enough. When our ambition outshoots the cross and the empty tomb, we fall and pray to a temptation that robs us of blessing. Well, as we look at, at understanding temptation, I just want to close with just a few thoughts on how to overcome temptation. Understanding what temptation is, how it works in my life. Do I, do I have this appetite where the devil can pound on me? You're never going to have enough, and that's going to lead me. It's, it's where I'm mo most susceptible uh, to walk away from uh, pursuing a God-given desire in a God-given way. Or is it approval? I'll never be enough. And, and, and if that's the temptation that most, uh, most likely strikes at your heart, uh, are, is that where you're going to try to satisfy a God-given desire in a non-godly way? Or maybe it's ambition. I'll never do enough. And if that's where it hits, I, I'm trying to satisfy this, this God-given desire in a non-God-given way. You've got to understand yourself, and maybe that takes some self-reflection. Maybe you've just got to stop long enough to say, where am I on that? I think these, those three questions really do help us. I, I'm never going to have enough. I'm never going to be enough. 
I'm never going to do enough except for this. His name's Jesus. And because of Jesus, only because of Jesus, I'm going to be satisfied. Why? Because he is the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, Whoever believes in me will never hunger or thirst again. He is the bread of life. And so I'm going to have enough. I'm going to be satisfied. Even if my cupboard is bare and I'm driving a clunker in the parking lot, I'm still going to be content because Jesus is my satisfaction. I'm never going to be enough. Oh my goodness, you are a son, you're a daughter of God. Take yes for an answer. He has accepted you. He has brought you into his family. All because of Jesus. I'm never going to do enough. You're right. You're not. But because of Jesus, you don't have to. Because of Jesus, every righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us so that we who are sons and daughters of God are accepted in the beloved and approved of by God. And he says, you are mine. The last part, and this is to overcome temptation, we need to embrace the victory that Jesus offers. Now, the reason I'm doing this one is because, see, used to, I'd deal with temptation just dealing with these next three things, and I would skip over the first three things. I'd never do that self-reflection where I understand, well, how does temptation work in Eric's life? And I was always, always, always doing uh, the next one, two, and three, and it never seemed to take root. I hope today you can begin to understand how temptation works in your life. And then when you apply one, two, and three that I'm about to show, it begins to take root. So what do we do? Well, you follow the example of Jesus. First, you need to um, saturate your heart and mind with the goodness of God. Can I tell you that the best way to overcome temptation is to rehearse over and over and over again the goodness of God? I mean, his goodness in your life. That's, that's the 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus wasn't just being passive. He, he, he was filling his soul with the goodness of God. He was planting God's word in his heart. He was reciting scripture and memorizing what God said because he knew that he was in the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus had prepared for the temptations that he was enduring. But the best preparation is filling your soul with the goodness of God. Do you know God is good and he loves you and he is going to satisfy the deepest yearnings of your soul? In your marriage, in your single life, in your finances, in your relationships, in your friendships, at work, at home, wherever you are, when you soak in the goodness of God through worship and praise and prayer and scripture, you're not going to be as susceptible to the temptation that the devil's going to bring your way. The more you soak in the, in the goodness of God, the more you see that I'm going to have enough because of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be enough because of Jesus. I'm going to do enough all because of what Jesus has done. It's going to be okay. The more you embrace the truth, you reject the lie. 
Soak your mind and heart in the goodness of God. The second thing is we need to make sure, whatever the second thing is, embrace the obedience equation. That's Psalm 1, 1, and 2. Psalm 1, 1, and 2, the obedience equation is real simple. If I do what God wants, I'm going to experience blessing. If I don't do what God wants, I'm going to experience cursing. This is throughout Scripture. It is not given uh, it, it's not. It doesn't. It, it does. It's not erased because we're New Testament people. When I'm obedient to God, then I'm going to experience blessing in my life. When I'm disobedient to God, then I'm going to experience cursing in my life. It is just that simple. Please don't be so sophisticated as to think that that doesn't apply to you. It applies to us all. I'm a follower of Jesus, and the worst days of my entire life were when I was walking in disobedience to God. And the consequence many times remains. In some ways, it still affects me today. That doesn't mean that God's trying to, uh, trying to harm me. It just means that he wants to remind me as I walk with a limp through this life what disobedience to him does. The obedience equation is simple. And if you're not living according to that <laughs> equation, then you're missing it. You're susceptible to temptation and the deceit of temptation. If I do what God wants, I'll be blessed. If I don't do what God wants, I'll be cursed. Even as a follower of Jesus. Doesn't mean I'm going to lose my salvation. It just means that I'm going to be walking with a limp. Today I walk with a limp. Not just because my pinky toe hurts. Today I walk with a limp. In many ways because of the sin that I've done a decade before. Guys, that's just truth. And if you've never heard that before, you need to hear it today. Sin is not some subtle little thing that can be, uh, it, it, it's not like a spill on the carpet that you can bring a carpet cleaner in and have it gone. There are stains that do remain. Do I lack joy? No, because God is gracious and he has rescued me and redeemed me and he's reconciled me to himself. But do I still walk with a limp? Absolutely. We've got to embrace the obedience equation. And then the third thing that we need to do is we need to focus on Jesus. I, I just, right beside Matthew 4, write Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Seeing then that we have such a great high priest, Jesus the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was tested in every point, even as we are, yet he never sinned. Therefore, all right, so Jesus endured temptation so we can go to him who understands us in our temptation. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find the grace and the mercy that will help us in our time of need. You're struggling with temptation if there's particular besetting sin. You know, that's an old-timey term, besetting sin. But guys, I got to tell you, there are sins of my life that have returned over and over and over again. And the temptation to those self-same sins continues over and over and over again. And you have besetting sin, whether it's a sin of your mouth or your mind or your attitude or your heart or your hands or your feet, whatever that sin may be. The temptation is going to be powerful. But you have Jesus who gained the victory over every sin. And he's ready to help. But you've got to turn to him. You've got to trust him. You've got to focus on him.
Today you want victory? Focus on Jesus. After all, he's the one who is the Son of God, who made us sons and daughters of God so that we might live in victory over the temptations that come our way. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God in heaven, I thank you that you have given us such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, that we can turn to Jesus and trust in him and find victory in our everyday life because he is for us. Now I pray, oh God, that you would inspire us in these moments to look to you, to trust in you, to cling to you, and help for us to understand the nature of our temptations, that we might be equipped and ready to overcome them by the power of your Spirit, working through your Son, invading our life, our mind, our heart, our emotion, our will, and be glorified in us. And it's in the mighty, glorious, matchless name of Jesus, we pray.